Hi, this is Julia Golding. Are you looking for a way to find a gentle beginning to your life as a fantasy writer? Or maybe you're just wanting to brush up your existing skills, but you don't have time to come to a class. Well, we've devised for you the perfect beginner's course. You can find it on our website. The course is full of exciting chapters for you to take at your own pace starting with packing your bag and setting out on an adventure. And over the course of the lessons, you'll learn to find a hero, gather allies and get under your belt all the basic skills you'll need to write yourself your fantasy story. So why not have a look at this today and see if it suits you? And I look forward to meeting you in our chat room, which comes along with the course. So what are you waiting for? Time to pack your bag and get writing. Do you think um, there are untapped seams to mine if we carry on our mining metaphor here? Um, stories that you've thought, oh, this would, this is new, this is different, this has been forgotten. I think there are loads, and I think it, it is a case of digging below the things that are known, the, the Mabinogion and the, the stories of dragons and King Arthur and so on, and actually delving into these, these small bits of folklore and seeing what we can bring out of them, because some of them are almost not even stories, it's just fragments of bits. It's like the tappers in the mine, they're, they're the story in my book. I had that, that was probably the one I had the most trouble with, because it's not really a, an actual story that goes with it. There's just a notion that there are fairy folk in the mines who will, who will tap, and I had to come up with something to, to go with it. But there are instances of that that could just yeah provide great inspiration. There's actually a, a, a rock up in the hill where I live now. I moved house during lockdown and I'm just outside Abergavenny now. And close to where I live, there's a standing stone. And it was just left over from the quarry. When they closed the quarry, they stuck it there as a thing to say, oh, we, 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 we were here once. There's now a, a story around it that it was a farmer who was so cruel that his wife drowned herself in the River Usk, which is the one that runs uh, just by the village. And he got turned to stone as a punishment. And every Midsummer's Eve, he will turn back into a person again and wander along the riverbank calling for his wife, who has got the good sense never to reply, probably. <laughs> and then he returns to stone. And that's why the stone is there. And that one has quite fascinated me because at some point... Somebody, although knowing that it's just a stone from the quarry, came up with this whole thing, which has then become a, a bit of a, a local legend. I mean, things like that. I mean, standing stones are a great source of inspiration, of course. And I suppose in a few generations, the the fact there was a quarry there, that part may be forgotten because that's every day mm. and interesting. And people latch on to suicide, husband and wife, Turning stone. I mean, it's much yeah. more exciting, isn't it? It's a better, it's a, it's a much more interesting story. story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so we've touched on this a little, but mm-hmm. in fact, what you've just spoke to is, has really um, illustrated this: that folklore hasn't stopped; that we're carrying on adding mm-hmm. to it. Would you say that it retains in Wales a, a national flavour, something about being Welsh, or is it? become more of a sort of human condition universal story i like 
to think that there is a different national flavour. And I, I that the same as there's a particular flavour for English and Scottish and, and Irish folklore. But of course, some of it is just as the populations become more mobile and you get far more of a mix of people in different places, then I think the stories become more universal in a way. Yeah, I think there's probably two two pools. <laughs> so in in England, you wouldn't really say English; you'd say Cornish, Yorkshire, Northeast. You know, you'd make it re- quite. True, it would be regional. The place you live in. So for me, I'm living in Oxfordshire. So it's the kind mm-hmm. of world of wind in the willows and you know Tolkien. It's it's that yeah. kind of rural Hobbit stuff around here. Uh, so our most recent folklore. Um, it's probably now known as great literature, which is just the sort of you know, <laughs> in the willows. There's a story about the Thames River down there. Somebody went and sat on the bank and said, Hey, you know, yeah, there was a, a mole. Um, so we've got a lot of projections of our local environment that then ends up on the world stage. Uh, but I've, I've got this feeling there's lots of lots of things happening all around the place. Like David Armand is great at mm-hmm. stories about, oh, yeah. Uh, his world up in near Newcastle. Um, I, I'm not sure what's happening in Cornwall. I have to, to think about that, but other than Poldark, but we're not talking Poldark. <laughs> it must be something, yes. Yeah, I, it's just me not having thought long enough about it. Um, so what do you think are the lessons for us as writers, thinking about our own original work rather than as collectors of stories? I think let your environment inspire you. Yeah, because your relationship with your immediate surroundings is something that's unique to you. And so if that percolates through into the writing, it's going to give a flavour to your writing that that is all yours and that nobody else can replicate. So be on the lookout for local stories and things. But also when you're walking around, look at the stone on the hill and think, oh, I wonder where that came from or the the funny shaped tree or, or, or what have you. And just make a habit of, making up stories i think i like the specificity of it as well um difficult word to say yeah. uh, for, and i noticed this it was one of the things that i absolutely adore about tolkien is that it's not just a general tree it's uh, an oak or a elder or a yes. elm um and they sit down bes- beside a particular kind of river so it's not just they sat at the banks of the river. You know, it's got a willow tree that mm-hmm. with roots going in in a certain way, and that sort of moving out of the general fog of description to something where you feel you're there. I think is a real art to make fantasy yes. as convincingly real. Yes, and seeing seeing the landscape through the eyes of your characters. So almost as we as narrators, we'd be seeing the things through our own eyes and trying to convey that. But of course, your characters are not you. Yes. They might have aspects of you in them, but your characters are their own individual people. So to think about how your characters are actually going to see the landscape, what they will notice, the stories that might come into their heads as they look around at things, can be a real way of showing the connection between your character and the world that they're in and then bringing both of them to life more. Yeah, and it's it's also that little, one of those tips for show, don't tell, you know. So if you want to yeah. introduce their idea of their religion or something 
or the way they believe the world was made. You can do it through them mm -hmm. looking at a stone cairn or yes you know the hill over which the sun rises i don't know whatever it depends or well, something that's significant to them yes yeah. and, and it, yes, the things that your character will care about in the in their in the world and pay attention to indeed so claire um it's wonderful that you've recently joined the team of tutors for the oxford center for fantasy and you're an experienced teacher of creative writing are any of these worlds of myths and legends things which you find useful to bring into that teaching practice? Yes, I, I use them a lot, actually. I do a lot of creative writing classes in schools. And this year, a lot of it has been focused on Welsh folktales. And so whenever I go to a different school, I will try and look up something that is local to that school that I can tell them and then get the kids to write a sequel to it or use it as a, a spring-off point for coming up with their, their own ideas. So I, I will show photographs, I will yeah, tell tell whatever stories I can find, and just use use that as, as inspiration. I think the very local aspect of that is really key, because, you know, going back to where we started about looking at a library mm -hmm. and not seeing a, a Welsh... Mm -hmm. Of Welsh ladies writing up there um but if you actually say look these are stories about what happens outside your door I've got a version of that which is not connected with myths and legends I always talk about how you are the expert as a younger yeah. person it's very hard to feel the expert on anything because teachers tell you how you know how much you don't know yes um, whereas that corner of the neighborhood that tree you swing on and make and climb you are the absolute expert on mm. that that's your tree your backyard that's your if you want to claim somewhere for a story uh, that, that is that is true yeah. yes and i find that children become i i know as a child i i would become very excited if i ever saw anything that sort of reminded my reminded me of my sort of home area which didn't happen much in books but the kids become so excited to find out that there are stories about their area, about their, their local rivers, and that they've got their own stories that are worth listening to. And I think also for adults, when you're teaching adults, connecting back to that time in childhood mm -hmm. when you were perhaps hopefully not treated like an indoor cat, but you're allowed to roam a little bit. Yes. Um, if you remember the way you interacted with your local area, that those memories bring back that acuity of perception, don't they? It's the, yeah. I can remember the, the the rough ground on the sort of out the back of our house where I grew up in Essex, um, which probably adults will look at and think, oh, that's rough ground, um, spoil of some sort of building project. Mm -hmm. The children looked at it and we thought that's our den uh, that's the den of the rival group over there. And we've got to hide here because it was near a golf course. We've got to hide here if we see any golfers. <laughs> you know, it became an area of adventure and just thinking of those feelings and how you knew yes. everything. Um, and we tell stories about what other people have done there, accusing others of doing all sorts of nefarious things. <laughs> I mean, it's just ripe with story, a tiny little patch of land. It is. It is that, that sense, <laughs> I think, you said that um, 
it's an area where there are stories and, and there's a real physicality to interacting with your environment as a child, that you're clambering over things, you're, you're feeling everything, you fall down, you graze your knees, you get back up again, which an adult might usually just walk across that rough patch of ground without paying it any attention. But there's this there's, there's this real yeah, physical interaction with the with the place and the whole wealth of, of storytelling that the children do when they're playing. And it's it's yes, as an adult writer trying to tap back into that and bring that excitement back that your world is one where adventures can happen and there's something special about your environment that other people don't notice. So if people are listening to this and wanting a sort of a little writing exercise, I think having a go at remembering somewhere like that, because I'm sure it will open doors and you'll mm -hmm. find yourself recalling so much because um, memories have a way of hooking other memories onto them. Yes. Um, yeah, so it would be a good thing to have a go at. So I've been talking about you as a collector of stories, um, but we did also mention that you've written your own um fiction books for children mm -hmm. something about them and the directions you've gone on gone in uh, as a writer okay well the, the first book i'm holding it up here and nobody can see it because this is a podcast no no well there will be a, a visual version of this as well Ooh, okay um, right. but the uh, i think you, yes the, the book is it's the accidental pilot's voyage to magical north was my first one which I actually did as a NaNoWriMo book, National Novel Writing Month, which happens in November of the year. And I sat down and just wrote it for fun. Wrote down a list of everything that I liked to read about or I thought would be fun to put into a story. So it was pirates, magic, sea monsters, sword fighting, swinging or chandeliers, the whole lot. And penguins, because I like penguins. And I just challenged myself to see if I could put it all into a book, which I finally did. And um, I eventually entered it for a writing competition and won that and got the publishing contact for three books through that. What but was the competition? Does it still run in case people are... Yes, the competition is called Undiscovered Voices, which is run by Scooby, the Society of um, Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. It's open to everyone in the UK and Europe currently, I believe, and happens every other year. It is a I mean, you, you basically submit your, your first 4,000 words and the synopsis, and the winners are put together in an anthology, which is sent around all publishing houses and agents. So the year I entered, the, um, the one of the judges was an agent. She contacted me straight away, and she said, oh, I really liked your opening. I think, what did you do? <laughs> I was like the, the most surprised person in the world. So I eventually yeah, signed with her and then yeah, got the contract with Macmillan, so those of you um, listening in the States, there's also a Scooby, a CBWI, uh, if you're Googling it, um, in the States as well, which may do something similar. I suspect it does. Um, I suspect it does. They, they do have a lot of competitions and, and help for new writers. So, yeah, if you're writing for children, I would definitely recommend having a look at it. That's a, a very good. Yes, it's a great organisation. Yes, well, I think, yeah, there, there has been a big thing. I mean, my second one is Journey to Dragon Island, so you can guess what appears in that book. Can you put that title again? Say that again? Yeah, the next one, Journey Journey to Dragon Island is number two. Is it still it, with pirates? It is, it's still got the pirates. It's got the same pirate crew, but they're off to the type of film that I liked watching as a child where the special effects were by Ray Harryhausen and everything would blow up. 
Mm-hmm. They would be. Um, so I tried to come up with my own original twist on all of the, all of the tropes of going to some sort of magical pirate island and exploring it and finding the various things there that that well yes traps and monsters and things that they have to deal with. So that yeah, they, they were a lot of fun to write, and there is a big theme of storytelling in them. The first one is all about how legends start and the types of stories people tell. My evil magician is not at all happy that he's been cast as the villain in all of the stories. And they do point out to him, well, if he doesn't want to be the villain, maybe he could stop acting like one. That's <laughs> <laughs> it, that one. Yeah. yeah, and so, yeah, and I, I wasn't thinking about myself being Welsh at all in those books to be honest I was just writing what was in my head and actually what you've just said is important because um we're passing through a phase now of a huge like focus on identity um which is obviously a reaction to the lack of representation and diversity in literature mm-hmm. back to the you know the days of the white men with beards um as you started saying but it also there is a pressure now on people to somehow speak for a group so, so I'm speaking for the Welsh mm-hmm. I'm speaking for women born in Essex for me um having to swim upstream from the Towie the only way is Essex influence here for those of you in the states listening to this there's a particular program reality tv program which has set the uh the sort of image of people from the place I came from so I'm trying to suggest they're not all like that um but we end up sort of carrying the can and I'm my mine is less obvious but if you're somebody with a from a different ethnic background or gender persuade you know all that stuff um sometimes it's just nice just to write as yourself and not feel I've got to be yes that is true yes rather than yeah feeling that you're representing the the whole group because to some extent you can represent the group as in you you sort of if you identify with a particular thing I mean I I now very much identify with being Welsh but I'm still me and me being Welsh is very different from somebody down the road who's also Welsh or somebody up north who's Welsh we we have very different experiences of, of living in the country there's yeah. actually a very interesting book of essays that came out this year called Welsh Plural. To anybody wanting to look at Welsh culture and writing, they've got some great, it's a mixture of about 20, 25 different writers just writing about their experiences of, of living in the country and, and how they perceive themselves. So um, we always end coming to the end I suppose I've gone back to um, near where we started we always end with deciding where in all the fantasy worlds is the best place for something mm-hmm. and because one of the unique things about Wales is its history of mining um, slate mining coal mining mm-hmm. gold mining uh, under the Romans I think gold mm-hmm. mines weren't there yeah. um, so I thought we'd have where in all the fantasy worlds is the best place to be a miner Wow, definitely, yeah. But as in someone who digs things out of mines, there's lots of rubbish places to be a miner. Yes, and yes, you do do not want to be a miner in Moria. (laughs) The the Balrog to come. 
Um, yeah, after a lot of thought, there, there's one book that came to mind. It's a, a modern fantasy series by Patrick Samfire. Oh. Based around a character called Menic Thorn, who is a not not terribly good mage. It's sort of like the Dresden Files, but set in a high fantasy setting. And the city where he lives, the city of Agathos, is built on the remains of dead gods. And the, the body parts of the dead gods are literally still there and contain huge amounts of magical power. So if you're a miner in Agathos, you never know what you're going to be pulling up. You could be sort of digging around and suddenly come across some sort of fingernail of a god that will make you the most powerful person in the city. So I think that that would be, yes, a bit dangerous, but rather interesting. So can you repeat the name of that uh, book again? Yes, so the series is called, it's the Menic Thorn series by Patrick Samfire. The first book in the series is Shadow of a Dead God. Ah, that and sounds yes, good, And the notion is that, yes, there, there are bits of dead gods littering the, the landscape. Yes, when I when I set this question, I immediately thought of all the bad places to be a minor because, you know, you're often yeah. sent there as punishment for crimes. Um, it, it seems in fantasy, it's particularly modern, like sci-fi fantasy, that mining planets where you get sent as punishment is quite a common oh, trope. Yeah. Um, so I decided the only place I could think where it was at all um, a pleasant lifestyle was Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, uh, mm. Disney version, yes. <laughs> where it's full of jewels. They're just there, you know. They're just there. Anything and you go. Yeah, home like, yes. So that's you do it. Yes. <laughs> so um, that was that was where I would pick. Mm. I'd smuggle myself in amongst the dwarves. Um, yeah. So thank you so much, Claire, for um, telling us about that. We will put a link to your your books in the show notes so people can, if they want to expand their knowledge of Welsh myths, myths and legends or pick up the accident, accidental pirates, they'll be able to find them. And so thank you very much for joining thank us. Thank you very much. Jochenbauer. Thanks for listening to Mythmakers Podcast, brought to you by the Oxford Centre for Fantasy. Visit OxfordCentreForFantasy.org to join in the fun. Find out about our online courses, in-person stays in Oxford, plus visit our shop for great gifts. Tell a friend and subscribe wherever you find your favourite podcasts worldwide. Hi, this is Julia Golding. Are you looking for a way to find a gentle beginning to your life as a fantasy writer? Or maybe you're just wanting to brush up your existing skills, but you don't have time to come to a class. Well, we've devised for you the perfect beginner's course. You can find it on our website. The course is full of exciting chapters for you to take at your own pace starting with packing your bag and setting out on an adventure. And over the course of the lessons, you'll learn to find a hero, gather allies and get under your belt all the basic 
skills you'll need to write yourself your fantasy story. So why not have a look at this today and see if it suits you? And I look forward to meeting you in our chat room, which comes along with the course. So what are you waiting for? Time to pack your bag and get writing.